Yeah, right. <laughs> and I have a feeling some people back home in Kansas City are going to be watching this weekend. One of these gets recorded or live streamed. I don't know which one. All of them. So if you're watching back home, aloha. So, well, I'll give you a quick update on this uh, hospital acquisition that uh, started two years ago. Uh, we, uh, we are into a 150,000 square foot hospital. We've taken uh, about 50,000 square feet. We've uh, gutted the inside and turned it into a white box. It's called white boxing. Just, it's, it's a beautiful brick building built in the 80s, but we took, uh, took 50,000 square feet and just gutted it because uh, one of the spiritual principles is you do what you can with what you have. So we were able to demo. That was cheap, right? And, uh, and for the last couple of years, we've been uh, paying for the, uh, the architectural renderings and getting all the permission and the approval. And, and then people have been donating single-family houses to us. And so we've been taking homeless families out of motels and into, into single-family residency. But you can only do a small number at a time. And the need is so great where I live, we would be able to fill the entire hospital and, there, and we would barely put a dent in the amount of homelessness and brokenness. So what we really re- need right now, Pastor Ralph alluded to, we, we, we're ready to build out 14 three-bedroom apartments in that 50,000 square foot area. Um, and all I need now is a little bit of money. So Lord, I'm asking for some money. Well, before today is over, I'm going to use that word again, ask. And by the time you leave here tonight, it's my outcome that you'll have a whole new definition and a whole new renewed understanding of that word, ask. So to that end, let's pray. Father, we're going to get down into the word. We're going to open it up. And I thank you that as we get into a historical book, the book of Acts, that We're able to read church history, but that tonight, right now, Holy Spirit, you are present and you are here to make this word alive. And I thank you that tonight people will leave here changed, not by the persuasion of my words, but by the witness of the Holy Spirit in their heart. I thank you tonight, Lord, that there will be divine revelation come to those assembled tonight. And this I know, Lord, I know, I absolutely know, the world will not be the same because of the revelation, the simple revelation that will come to the hearers tonight. The world is going to change. I thank You for it. I thank You, Lord. Well, today, I want to, if I were going to give this a title, I would title today's talk, New Normal. The New Normal. It's something's new if it's new. In other words, there's an old normal and there's a, a new normal. See, to me, the old normal is the, the, the normal of the world. The, the patterns and the, the ways of this fallen, broken, fractured world. And Jesus came and he radically introduced a new normal. We sometimes we call it miraculous. Why does it seem miraculous? Because it's not like the old. It looks rather new. And it's different. It's a miracle. It's miraculous. There's a couple of takeaways I hope you'll get out of this before we get into the Scripture. The first takeaway I hope that you'll, you'll get is uh, that, that tonight you'll see that physical healing 
doing kind things and raising the dead are the new normal of Christianity. That they're not just the miraculous, that that's normal. That physical healing, doing kind things and raising the dead is normal. Normal. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. The second takeaway that I hope you'll get out of this today is that you'll have a renewed understanding that God is holding you personally accountable when it comes to changing the world around you. I'm going to say that again and I'm going to unpack it a little bit slower. I hope that out of today's Bible that we look at, you will have a renewed understanding that God is holding you accountable. Everybody say me. That God is holding you accountable. Not the church you attend, not the government, not not the pastoral staff, not the denomination, that you, you individually, God is holding you accountable for changing the world. It's really easy to disassociate ourselves from this accountability and feel that something should be done, that somebody ought to do something. And there's that disassociation. Tonight, it's my hope that you'll take away from here a renewed understanding that you are accountable to the Lord. And i got to tell you, it may seem and sound like a burdensome thing, like how do I change the world? But by the time I'm done, your heart's going to be filled with joy because you're going to see how simple how joyful and how powerful it is to walk in a whole new normal that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And yes, you're accountable. But God is simply asking for you to do a very small and important part. And he's the one who raises the dead. He's the one who heals the sick. But we have a part to play. So let's get started. I'm going to read real quick through a chunk of Scripture out of Acts chapter 9. The reason I picked this, because we're kind of just diving into a new normal. It's a section of the book of Acts that just picks up on what's going on in the everyday life of the Christians. This is not an unusual section of Scripture. The church I pastor back in Kansas City, we're going through the book of Acts. We just, we're up to about chapter 12 right now, so we're right in the middle of of just kind of understanding that these signs and wonders and miraculous is just a whole new normal. So let's just pick it up. I'm going to read it through. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place. Now, meanwhile, this is the same Peter. I don't know him. Right? This is the same Peter who was afraid of the little girl by the fire. Okay? This is the same Peter who the Lord said, come. Come back. This is the same Peter who preached um, at Pentecost. This is the same Peter whose life got changed. This is the same Peter who walked into a whole new normal. He went from being a fearful man, I don't know him, to a man walking in a whole new normal. That's this Peter. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place. And he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydia, And there he met a man named Aeneas, who'd been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Now before we go on, we've got to put ourselves into what we're reading. 
It's easy to read this and keep going. There's a man named Ennius, paralyzed, bedridden for eight years. Could you join, join me right now in putting yourself in his shoes? Let's unpack this for a minute. He's been in bed for eight years. That's a long time. Matter of fact, it would indicate here that he used to be mobile. And now he's no longer mobile. That he used to have a a quality of life that he doesn't have now. He's bedridden. Now, if you would put yourself into Ennius' shoes for just a moment and own what that would be like. I would imagine that Ennius had already been praying. Had already gone through depression. The wonderings. The why me? The Lord? What about me? I, I can... Can you, you understand? This is a human being in bed for eight years. Verse 34, Peter said to him, Ennius, Jesus heals you. Get up, roll up your sleeping mat, and instantly he was healed. Now, can I just tell you that's a whole different kind of way to pray right there? That's just different. I mean, he didn't even he didn't pray like, Lord, we've gathered around here. And if it's your will, would you please come and do? He just said, hey, Ennius, the Lord makes you whole. Get up. Can I there's something going on in Peter that seems a little bit different than what I've experienced, maybe than what we've heard. He just declared out the Lord make you whole. Can I just tell you that seems a little gutsy to me? Like, what happened to getting permission from Jesus to ask if it's okay if Ennius would be healed? Well, can I tell you that Peter's walking in what should be normal? And that what we've been experiencing is not normal. You know, Peter didn't see Ennius and go, gee, there's a sick man, somebody ought to do something about that. Peter saw Ennius and saw a broken man and said, Ennius, the Lord make you whole. And a miracle happened. I want to unpack this a little bit further to understand why, what happened to Peter that would allow this kind of boldness to come on him. Now, can I just ask a question before I go any further? How many think Ennius' life got changed right there? How many think his world got brighter? His family got happier? How many think is, I don't know if he had grandchildren or, or, or like we heard in the video, aunties and uncles and, and all that. But you know, how many think his world changed? Well, of course, it was Peter, the great apostle. He was a coward. He was a weak man. Who was afraid to even name the name of Christ. And he had an encounter with Jesus. And he's just like you and me. He's a man. He's normal. He's a human being. Just like you. But something happened to Peter that you and I can walk into. And we too can change the world like we see here. This whole new normal. Let's just go on with the story. By the way, something cool happened in verse 35. 
<laughs> the whole population of Lydia and Sharon saw Ennius walking around and they turned to the Lord. How many think that's cool? I mean, that's better than radio advertising, television advertising, and handing out flyers on the corner about advertising a service time. Ennius got healed. Hey, the whole city turned to the Lord. That's God's plan. It's to see people delivered from sickness and sin and broken hearts. I love the video of the man Kim at the beginning of service. How do you think Kim's life has changed? It's a whole new normal for him. Let's go on with our story. There's one more thing, a couple more things to pick up. And then we're going to unpack some principles. Verse 36, there was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha or, or Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. Now, what does it say in verse 36, 36 that she was? She was a what? A believer who was always doing kind things and helping the poor. Can I tell you that's the new normal? Jesus said, the greatest among you will be the servants of all. And that the new normal is being kind-hearted. The new normal is being disciples of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, how many disciples do we have here? Couple? How many disciples of Jesus Christ do we have here? Okay. How, let me hear you. How many disciples of Jesus Christ do we have here? Are you here? I want to read something to you. It's in Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, verse 8. No, I'm sorry. I gave you the wrong verse. Never mind. Mark 8, 34. Listen to what it says. He called his crowd, he called the crowd to join him and his disciples and said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. How many want to be a follower of Jesus? Jesus said, If you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. How many still want to be his disciple? How many followers do we have? There's a cost here. Jesus paid the price for my sin, but cost following him costs me something. What does it cost me? I must give up my selfish ways. I must die to what I want. I must make others more important than me. I must stop and render aid. I must be like what we're reading here. Someone who has a reputation of doing kind things and helping others. I must stop long enough to do something to make a difference in Ennius' life. I've got to be willing to get involved. To be a disciple means to empty yourself of selfish ways. In other words, others are more important than you. That's the new normal. I have to say that the church's voice today is being muted 
and marginalized and set into the corner. We've lost the power of our testimony in the ethos of our culture, at least in the mainland. And I will tell you why. There's numbers of reasons why. The primary reason is we're no longer following the example that we read here. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha. She was always doing kind things and helping others and helping the poor. We've stopped. We've become so absorbed with ourselves and our selfish ways that it's hard to see that we are His disciples. You see, we've busied ourselves worried about who believes the Bible more correctly between the schisms and the divisions of our denominations and the fracturing of the body of Christ, whereby we've busied ourselves with the things that don't carry eternal weight, that won't change the world. Who's right, more right, about the second coming of Christ will not help Aeneas get healed. It won't help a single poor person get food in their stomach. It won't send a box around the world. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple... You'll empty yourself of your selfish ambition. You'll take up your cross. You'll die to what you want. And you're going to make others more important. That's the new normal. Now, here's something that happens, though. When we start living like this, signs and wonders follow those who believe. And the very thing we wanted, we find. Because if you go on and continue to read Mark 8, it says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. The very thing that we've been trying to save, we find when we empty ourselves of what we want and busy ourselves with what others around us need. You might be saying, well, when, when is it okay to worry about me and what I need and what I want? I promise you, because God promises that if you will busy yourself doing the right thing, read Isaiah 58. He says, I'll lead you forward and I'll protect you from behind. Jesus said, give no thought to tomorrow what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or what you'll wear. God does a really fine job taking care of nature and the birds and feeding everybody. He'll surely take care of you. That's where it's at. So when is it okay? Well, just busy yourself. Do the right thing. Earn a reputation like the lady we just heard about. Become a disciple. Empty yourself of selfish ambition and watch signs and wonders. How many would like to be able to Pray like Peter prayed here. Hey, Aeneas, Jesus makes you whole. Get up. How many would like that? It will cost you this to be like that. Let's move on with our story. 
There was a believer in Jaffa, Tabitha. She was always doing kind things and helping others and helping the poor. About that time, she became ill and died. What? She died. Kind-hearted followers of Jesus die. By the way, ten out of ten of us in this room will, will die. You see, she died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in the upstairs room. And the believers had heard that Peter was nearby, Lydia, so they sent two men and begged him, come as soon as possible. Now, why would they do this? She's dead. Did they just want him to attend the funeral? I think a couple of these believers understood there's a new normal in town. I heard... That Jesus can raise the dead. I heard that Lazarus came out of the tomb after he was stinking rotten for three days. I heard. I believe. And somebody put their reputation enough on the line and money and trouble and time to send for Peter just on the outside hope that there's a new normal. They wanted to see. They were hungry. They longed. They didn't accept There was something in them that said, we want it to be different. And they did something about it. They dispatched a couple messengers. That was called faith. They didn't just drop it into neutral and go, yeah, she's dead. And Aeneas is in bed. And the poor will always be among us. They engaged their hearts. I and you and we are so easy to drop life into neutral. We're into this situation. We've got a we've got a theological oddity that we're struggling with. Here's our oddity. We're struggling with the things that happen must be God's will or it wouldn't have happened. And when we let that get a little too far out of balance one way, we drop it into neutral and get a case, a raw, a raw, whatever will be, will be. And we don't fight anymore. We don't ask anymore. We don't push anymore. And we don't dig deep anymore. And we lose our courage. We lose our desire to take risks. And then we busy ourselves with our own stuff and we've become marginalized and somewhere kind of in the middle. But not here. Two wild-eyed people went and begged Peter to come and do something about this. And Peter returned with them. As soon as they arrived, they took him into the upstairs room and the room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing coats and other clothes that Dorcas had made for them. I mean, after all, she was a kind person. She busied herself making gifts for other people. And they were memorializing her and remembering her. Oh, so wonderful. She's so awesome. And then Peter asked them to leave the room. He knelt down and prayed. I find it interesting. He asked them all this to leave the room. He didn't turn it into a big The Peter Show. He turned to the body and said some pretty gutsy words. Get up! 
Tabitha. How many think that's just a little gutsy? This is, this is like a new normal. And she opened her eyes. And she saw Peter and sat up. In verse 41, he gave her his hand and helped her up. And he called in the widows and all the believers and presented, he presented her alive to them. And look at verse 42. It sounds very familiar, like just what happened a minute ago with Aeneas. And the news spread through the whole town. And many, many believed in the Lord. <laughs> How many believed in the Lord? Many. How many is many? A lot. The town. How many like see this town just shook a little harder for Jesus? How many are hungry for some some really significant God-sized, miraculous, a whole new normal to unpack itself into the city and community where you live? Where signs and wonders followed in a whole new normal everywhere you go and how you pray and how you change the world. How many would like that? It will cost you something, but it's possible. Well, back to our kind of our theological oddity, because we've got to resolve this if we're going to get off center. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2 says, I've heard about you, O Lord, and I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember mercy. I love this passage. Do you hear the cry here? I've heard about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. We've heard about God and how in church history he's done amazing things. We read this book right here and we hear about Tabitha getting raised from the dead. And But where does it come down to? What about us? What about our time? What about right now in our great need? Help us again as you did in years gone by. Psalms 90, verse 16. O Lord, let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. Isaiah 61, verse 4. Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. You see, this is the problem we face. All three of these scriptures are crying out for God to do something. So we've done our job. Let's go home and wait. Maybe he'll do something. After all, the ball's in his court. Is it? I think that's our problem. For God so what the world? God loved Aeneas. God loved Dorcas. And God so loved. And He's not disengaged. And He longs to pour out His Holy Spirit. And He longs for this generation. The ball's not in His court. He gave it all on the cross. He poured out His Holy Spirit. 
into you and I. And the Spirit of the living God is in us. And Jesus said, I've given my authority to you. What more could God do for us except that now He'd like us to walk out a new normal? Shall He die again? Shall He? Shall God resend the Holy Spirit and pour out on all flesh as if He never had before? Who's got the ball? That's the dilemma we're in. We keep waiting for the Lord. And I believe clearly the Lord is waiting for us. I, I'm, a, I'm a small man. I don't mean small in height. There are shorter people here than me. I am a small man. I am not a great man. I am not a well-educated man. I am a broken man with a horrible past. I've been forgiven much, and thereby I love much. I am a simple man, but listen to this simple man tell you. I've collected a list of miracles and miraculous things and stories beyond belief that make your hair stand up because I'm dumb enough to believe that my Jesus wants me to get involved with what I see. And that I don't need permission to love. I've been given permission. Do you know why we don't see more miraculous? Why don't we see more new normal? Can I, why? We don't need it. We're not out there really needing it. We conspire to do things that we believe are possible for us to do. We plan what we know we can do. What we're sure we can accomplish, we'll take it on. Where's your great need of God? I was at uh, Angela's Temple about three years ago. And I took the tour of Sister Amy's house. And there encased in a hallway are braces. There were people who had had polio, had been healed in the services. And the braces were no longer needed. And there's name plaques and dates. And, and I'm sitting there staring, in these, staring at this stuff. And I'm thinking, what's wrong? Where is God? What happened to the Lord? And I caught myself. And I went, wait a minute. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Surely it's not Him. It must be me. Us. We've changed. And so standing there in the hallway of that house, I said to the Lord, what's the deal? With a little bit of spit in my eye and a little bit of firmness in my voice. Come on. 
I've heard about these things. And how come I've not lived to see this happen? Because I see people suffering everywhere I go, where I live. And the Holy Spirit whispered these words to my heart. And it changed me. Ready for it? Write it down. Desperate times, desperate people, desperate prayers. Desperate times, desperate people, desperate prayers. All this happened in the 1930s. What happened in the 1930s, by the way? What was going on in world history in the 1930s? Come on. Huh? Hitler. The Great Depression. In the 40s. And how many would agree they were desperate times? Come on. And were people desperate? And there was a little tiny church in Echo Park who had the audacity to believe that the right thing to do was feed the city. And you know what? They did. And signs and wonders followed that little tiny church in Echo Park that went on to become churches scattered around the world of which you and I are a member of. And signs and wonders followed that little church. Desperate times, desperate people, desperate prayers. Something's happening in America right now and around the world, and I welcome it. And I'm telling you with a sense of a propheticness to my voice, God's in the middle of all of this. And the miraculous is right here. And there's a whole new normal. And God will sweep in yet another generation in the middle of this turmoil that we see unpacking around us. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. But don't worry and have no fear. There's a whole new normal. There's a kingdom supply and there's an opportunity to see our neighbors come to know Jesus Christ and to see people healed. And it can come through you, your hands. So, who are we really waiting for? I don't think we're waiting for the Lord. I think that's pretty much a cop-out. We've spent most of our time believing that if God would just move if we'd have a sovereign move of God, if God would just move, there'd be revival. God would just do something. All would be well. Well, I've got to tell you the ball's in our court, and I'll prove it to you as the Lord proved it to me about five weeks ago, and I had to repent. I wept in my office. I stood before my church five weeks ago as a broken man, and I want to do it again right now. If you look at John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. He's telling the what? In other words, Jesus is saying, let me tell you straight up how it is. In other words, Jesus is saying, Pay attention. I'm not going to lead you astray. Let me tell you exactly like it is. This is the way it's going to be. Jesus is saying, plan your life around this. Jesus is saying, there's a whole new normal. I'm going to tell you the truth. 
anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. And even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Now, before we go any further, can I just ask the question, when does this start? How many think that's a fair question? Jesus said this was the truth. Straight up the way it was going to be. Now, when I examine my life compared to the signs and the wonders of the early church and the works that Jesus did, I'm bankrupt. And I keep blaming God for my bankruptcy. And I err in doing so. God's not the problem. The problem is, I'm full of selfish ambition. I've not emptied myself of what I want. And I haven't taken enough time to care about the needs of others. And I'm not willing to be a courageous man and start asking for prayers that will actually change the world. I keep wanting to pray Girl Scout prayers. Puppy dog prayers and posy prayers that are safe within the guidelines of what's possible. Anybody else? Let's move on with the scripture. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done, even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. Now look at this next one. You, everybody say me. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the son can bring glory to the father. Yes. And then he repeats himself. Yes. Ask me for what? Come on. Anything in my name. In other words, when he says in my name, within the banner of what you would find me doing. Under the umbrella of how I've busied myself, busy yourself, ask under the same framework by which you've seen me live my life. Under that umbrella, under the works that I did, ask, ask within the model and the framework of my values in my name. You see, we've turned in his name into like fairy dust. The name of Jesus. It's not what that means. It means within the framework of who he is. The values of the kingdom. Ask for what? Ask for, come on, anything. Well, what's anything? Anything that doesn't look like the kingdom of God. That doesn't look like his coming kingdom. If you see anyone suffering under the scourges of darkness, do something about it. That's anything. Because that's what Jesus would have done. Ask for anything in my name and I will do it. And if you love me, obey my commandments. And right there, my whole life got messed up. Let me tell you what happened to me. How many have ever heard it said before, if you love Jesus, you'll obey his commandments? How many have heard that? How many have heard that in a sermon at least once? How many here have quoted that to your children or to to a co-worker or said it to yourself? Come on. I've been doing it for 30 years. I've been with Jesus 30 years now. And I go all the time around saying, Jesus said, I preached it so many times. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. 
And so when I say that, is that a true statement or not? Yes or no? Come on. Sure it is. But I keep quoting it completely out of context. I've taken a truth and I keep quoting it. And here's how I've been applying it and I have repented of doing it. Tell me if you haven't caught yourself doing this. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, which means forgive somebody if they offend you. So Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my command. So I have to forgive my neighbor. How many know that Jesus taught to forgive your neighbor? Yes or no? And then if you love him, you'll obey his commands and you'll forgive. Yes or no? Sure. Jesus said, you know, all these things. And I think about all the teachings of Jesus and all the kingdom values of Jesus, all that are good and all that I want to model my life after. And I take this one verse right here and I think of everything Jesus taught and I try to think of it all and apply it to this sentence. Oops, when I do that, I just miss the power of what is written here. Read it again. But this time, don't think about all the things Jesus taught. Keep it in context and look again at what he's saying right now. Let's back up. Read it again. Here comes the revelation. Jesus opened the hearts to see this. Jesus said, you can ask me for anything and I'll do it. Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And if you love me, you'd obey my commandment to ask. Because isn't that the subject matter? What's he asking you to do? He's asking you to... Ask. And if you loved me, you'd busy yourself actually asking. That's the subject. That's the power. And all of a sudden, I got free. Hallelujah. I show God how much I love him by busying myself asking for outrageous things. Wow, it blesses Jesus and it shows great love for him when I see an Ennius and I say, Jesus, make you whole. The world laughs at me. Other Christians try to slow me down. Whoa, 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 whoa. You, you, you might, that might not be God's will. Blah! God doesn't want Ennius to suffer anymore. And as a matter of fact, just to prove to you that you're wrong and I'm right, look, he's walking around. <laughs> Because I can't heal a soul. I can't raise the dead. Only Jesus can. But what he wants from me is to show my great love for him by simply just doing one thing. What's that? Come on. Ask. So how many here can ask? Can you? I submit to you, you can't. If you haven't emptied yourself of your selfish ambition. Because James says in chapter 4, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you might spend it on yourself. And so if you'll stop asking about you all the time and start asking for, come on, others, signs and wonders will follow behind your asking in his name. And can I just tell you, at that moment, you'll become a world changer. And you don't need a television ministry to do it. And you don't need to go to Bible college. 
Nothing wrong with Bible college. But you and I are disciples of Jesus and we're world changers. Can I tell you that on your street, right now, today, somebody is suffering. There's an Ennius. And there needs to be come back into the fire of the belly of the church. A willingness to empty itself and to start praying prayers that actually change the world. Prayers for the impossible to become, in fact, possible. Because we're walking in a new normal. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. This is new. I have just enough time to tell you a story. Really a confession. Just about how really broken I really am and how gracious my Jesus is. I was in Africa recently. I was in Ghana. I was there for several days. I was preaching in churches all over the city. It was hot. They made me wear a suit and a tie. So as not to offend the church, I did so. And every time I got somewhere, they put a new Ghanaian robe over my suit. Woolen robes in the middle of the summer. And after preaching in four or five churches, it's now 1030 at night. Can I tell you I was tired? And as we were going to the motel, hotel, the phone rang. The pastor, the Ghanaian pastor, his phone rang. And someone's on the phone and wants prayer. And the pastor says, why didn't you make it to church? Their ride didn't come for them. But they really wanted prayer. Because they believed that if they would come to church, God would heal them. So the person was asking, would we come to their house? So the pastor puts down the phone and says, hold on, let me ask. Looks at me, explains the situation. And did I mind? Now, as I'm in the quietness of my mind without my lips moving, screaming, No! you got to be kidding me! I'm tired! I'm hot! Don't you know how much I've done for you today? All of the stuff about me. Can I just tell you, I wasn't feeling real spiritual. Jesus can answer their prayer tomorrow. Now, I didn't say any of this. I'm thinking it. And no sooner was I was thinking, how do I get out of this so I can get some sleep? A church member who was with me on the trip, his name is Barry. Barry, if you're watching, I'm telling our story. Was in the seat behind me. And Barry, God bless his heart, says, yeah, we're coming. To which I screamed inside of my mind, no, I'm just so tired. 
and we turned around and 25 minute ride deep into I don't know where with no street lights and bumpy pothole roads and brick walls with glass shards and barbed wire and into a city that I don't know where I am into a dark, dark place somewhere in Africa. We knock on the gate and the gate opens and we go into the home of this man and he walks in and I'll be darned if he's not blind and he wants to see. All my life, I've heard that blind people could see, but this wasn't going to be one of those nights. I wanted to go to bed. Then he began to tell his story. And he began to share about his children and his family and how he used to be able to see and how slowly he lost his sight and how his employer had to terminate him because he couldn't see anymore. How he used to be an accountant at the bank and he lost his job and how poor they are and how desperately he needs to be healed and how he used to serve in the church and how how, how desperate he is for Jesus to give him back his sight. And the longer he talked, the smaller I felt. The more ashamed I became. After all, nothing compared to what this man was going through. And with no faith in me at all except shame, for who I am. Resting in the quietness of my soul because nobody knew my thoughts but me and Jesus the whole trip there. The pastor and the church member, Barry, said, well, let's pray that you'll receive your sight. And they looked at me and said, Pastor John, we think you should pray. And I thought, oh, dear God, no. There's... There's not an ounce of anything spiritual in me right now. I am a dead man. I've just nailed myself to the cross all over again. I'm a wicked man who's just only thinking of myself. There's nothing in me that could offer this man any hope. But because they asked, I was kind of on the hook. And so, very quietly... I simply said, Lord Jesus, heal my friend and give him his sight. In your name, I ask you, heal him. And he got healed. He got his sight right there. I saw. I saw a blind man get his sight back. How can this be? I'm so broken. I'm I'm a I'm I'm I wasn't all that spiritual. I wasn't all that prayed up. I wasn't all that big man on campus. I'm just you know why? I was never more dead at that moment than I was right then. And I knew that there was nothing in me that could offer any hope except Jesus alone, and there was no pride left in my prayer to pray. The only thing left in me was faith that Jesus could actually heal this man. And he got healed.
And I learned a life lesson. All the while, I wondered why I never saw a blind man get their eyes sight in America. Why did God have to send me all the way to Ghana? Desperate times, desperate people, desperate prayers. And I was willing to ask. And God was willing to do it. And for the rest of my life, I will remember his big smiling face. As at like one in the morning, we pulled out and he's doing this. And all you could see was his big white teeth and his white eyes doing this. As he waved as we went off and went to the hotel to catch some sleep. Can I tell you that that night we changed the world because we changed his life. And I became a world changer, a dead man, a selfish, self-absorbed, re-crucified dead man. Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you must deny yourself. Empty yourself of your selfish ambition. Take up your cross. Follow Him. As I close, are you even noticing what's going on around you so that you can even be asking? Your prayer night might need to start, Lord, open my eyes to see what's going on around me. Help me to get my eyes off myself. And then the second thing is this. Are you even asking for prayers that will change anything? I want to challenge you. Stop praying Miss America prayers. What are Miss America prayers? I want all the children all over the world to be happy. And everyone to love each other. Is that nice? That's so nice. That's so safe. And there's no reality to it. And it'll never happen until His kingdom come. But in the meantime, Aeneas needs healing. So here's what Jesus is asking you to do. Ready? Get specific. Get bold. Get on fire. Get on target. And do something with your faith. And engage the needs of those around you. And stop saying somebody ought to. Get your eyes off yourself. And just start showing Jesus how much you love Him by actually, come on, asking. Pastor Ralph. Pastor somebody. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.